And I know you've come with real life stuff. It might be some relationship issues, it might be some health issues, heartache, emotional stress, temptation stuff, addictions. We're real folks. We get together not to celebrate our perfection, but to celebrate the adequacy of Jesus and the way that He's come to us in the midst of a broken world. But whatever you're grappling with, here's the deal. I got three words for you. God has spoken. And our Monday morning hope is rooted in the fact that God has spoken. He has spoken an invitation to us, an invitation that arrives every day. And it's not this, hey, let's be friends and everything's going to be fine. You and I are navigating a fallen world daily. But in the midst of that fallen world, we don't have to try to fabricate hope. Hope is solid. It's anchored in the resurrection, this historical, bodily, literal resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we can trust that these words are true. God has spoken, and He's spoken through Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. God speaks. He speaks through creation. He speaks through our consciences. He's spoken through Scriptures, and ultimately, He speaks through His Son, His Son's words, actions, what He did in time and space that clarified. He's, he's, a lot of people say he was just a good man. He couldn't have been just a good man. He was either a liar or a crazy man, or he was who he claimed to be. And God has spoken. That's why John, at the beginning of his gospel, said in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made, and in Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I want to key in on that. If you're new here or have just come in these last few weeks, today's going to be a, a brief recap of a series that we're in and out of, and we started last year, and we'll keep going through the Gospel of John. We're taking breaks here and there. We just finished a couple of months break, and we'll spend about a month in this, then move into Advent, then come back, back and forth. So we're going to take, taking it slow, being very careful, looking at this amazingly rich text of Scripture. And let's take, put that, that passage back up, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That last verse, verse 4, in him was life. I want you to, to focus on that just for a minute. Throughout John's gospel, he uses words that are all translated in English, but it's different words. There's a Greek word called bios that's translated in English life. It means biological life, heart beating, lung breathing. But then there's a word transliterated into English letters, Z-O-E, Zoe. And if your name is Zoe or Zoe, it's a special, special word. 
It also means life, but it means the life of God, the essence of God, the vibrancy of God. About 71 times in John's gospel and his epistles, his, his first, second, and third John, and also Revelation, he uses words that are translated in English, life. But of those 71, only about 15 are the heart-beating, lung-breathing kind. The, the rest are referring to the Zoe. In Jesus, what was significant about him is not his religiosity, not his ability to, to, to do prophecy and all. What was ultimately powerful about him was his Zoe. And John says, in him was Zoe. It's what we all yearn for as human beings. It's what we're all thirsting for and searching for. And it's his Zoe that was our light. And so that's why our vision here at Northland is engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. Engaging people to be Zoe in Jesus. Let's put that vision statement. Vision statement, vision statement, engaging people. There we go. Engaging people. Not watching, doing life together. Not to be religious, but to be fully alive. Zoe in Jesus. The invitation that he brings to us is to come alive. Which is why we're calling this series that we're in Awaken. That's what the Gospel of John's all about. To awaken from, we're, all, we're, 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 we're sleepwalking. We're born, with the Scriptures say, dead in our trespasses and sins. We're capable of laughter and love and creativity. We're, we're capable of, of great architectural feats and scientific stuff. The list goes on and on because we're all image bearers. But bottom line, what the Gospel does is comes along and says, in the midst of a fallen world, you who are bearing the consequences of living in a fallen world want you to come alive. Our vision is based on what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that you might have life, have it to the full. I've come that you might have zoe. As you're meeting with clients, as you're working in the shop, as you're at the doctor's, as you're dealing with cupcakes and parties and funerals and relationships and laughter and tears, in the midst of all of that, I want you to be fully alive. It's what we yearn for. It's what we're thirsty for. And so at the end of his gospel, John says, let me tell you why I wrote this book. And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, just ask, ask us at the welcome desk. We'll give you one. You can find it online. But the Gospel of John, at the end of it, John says in John 20, 31, let me tell you why I've written my Gospel. He says, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. We divide that up into part A and part B here. Part A is that first sentence, that you may believe. So he says, I've written my gospel for two reasons. One, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Believing, receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. It's what 38 of those children did last week. It's what many of you have done, said, okay, I'm in. 
I'm in. I'm going to say yes to the invitation. I'm not trashing it. I'm saying yes to it. I'm here. Okay. That's not the end, though. That's the beginning, part B. And that by believing you may have life in His name. Part A, orthodoxy, right belief. But orthodoxy, right belief should lead us to vibrancy in the way that we do our lives laced with hope and grace and truth and the way of Jesus. And so this invitation that comes is an invitation to come alive. John chapter 5, verse 24 and 25, what Nathan read us, reading, uh, read us in a moment ago, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word, Jesus said, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. At that moment, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the life-giving voice of the Son of God and those who hear, those who hear his invitation, who receive his invitation, who say yes to his invitation will live. So in our, absolutely, it's something, it is, it is amazing, an amazing gift to us as human beings to be restored to the original purpose that we were made for as human beings, and that's to be alive. It's to thrive, not just to survive, to flourish, not just to exist, and to flourish and to be alive in Christ is not necessarily a smile all the time. It's not happy clappy. It's a deep resounding sense of I'm going to steward my journey as a human being submitted to who I I am as a creature before my Creator who has issued me an invitation to walk in relationship with Him, and I'm going to be relating with Him in every nook and cranny of my life. Now, hearing His voice, responding to that invitation, twofold, a little bit more brief today just because our kids have joined us, and we're going to pick up next week with chapter 6 in John. You can start reading ahead where He feeds a ton of folks, and we, we learn about His enoughness. But right now, I just want to look at two aspects. If you are wanting to, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you came to Trunk or Treat and thinking, this, these seem like some pretty fun folks. I wonder what, what it, it does seem like maybe a normal church, and let me, let me, I'd like to kind of figure that out, and you're here. Uh, let me tell you something. We're not normal. Uh, we're just as broken as anybody else, but we've got Jesus. We're broken as anybody else, but we've got hope. We've got life. We're unpacking that, engaging each other to be fully alive. And we are all taking this invitation very, very seriously. So if I'm wanting to experience the life of Jesus, what's involved right off the get-go? Two ingredients. Number one, I've got to realize the invitation. I've got to realize the invitation that's here. You've got one in your box, you've got one in yours, you've got… every one of us has this invitation. And invitations are pretty special. Every day, you and I, we've got invitations, small ones, big ones that we respond to. Actually, this past, past week, a lot of you Remember my son, Andrew. Arlene and I have, have three boys, but the oldest one's Andrew, went to the Air Force Academy, was in Afghanistan last year. And some of you remember, before he left for Afghanistan, he joined me for the sermon. We were unpacking, uh, the, actually, the, some of what we're talking about, the life of the gospel, Labor Day a year ago. Well, he got back from Afghanistan, is back in station in Salt Lake City. Uh, his girlfriend, Jenna, they continued their relationship while he was in Afghanistan, FaceTime, and really, really digging deep, getting to know each other. But one thing he, he discovered, somewhere midway through, she was listening every day to a song 
by a group called Judah and the Line called Our Love. What Jenna did not know is that Andrew knows the, that band. One of the band members uh, went to high school with Andrew. He went to high school with Nate. And so last week, Andrew got Jenna to come join him in Salt Lake City. They went to a concert for Judah and the Line and had a meet and greet time beforehand. It was a private. Before the concert, you could kind of pay extra and, and be part of a smaller intimate gathering with the band. They were going to sing some songs more acoustic. And, and so Andrew and Jenna were there. And what Jenna didn't know is that Andrew had arranged for them to sing a song called Our Love, that song that Jenna had grown to love. So in the midst of it, everybody's kind of sitting on the floor, stage a smaller stage with a backdrop set up right in front of the, sta- in front of the stage that they were going to use later in the night for the concert. And so everybody's sitting there, and Andrew says, hey, you want to dance to this song? So they start dancing. And in the midst of that song, he stops dancing, and he issues an invitation. And Now, she said no, but it was still a really, really special time. She didn't say no. And afterwards, they celebrated with the band, and uh, then, obviously, uh, they opened up the, you can go to the, they opened up the, um, the concert hall to the main crowd. But that's one of the most special invitations that we know of, but it is not the most special invitation. The most special invitation that a human being can receive is what we've been talking about. Very truly, I tell you, it's powerful to think that Jesus refers to us as His bride, isn't it? His invitation is not for religiosity, it's to come alive. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. And there's coming a time, and it has now come when those who hear, when those who respond to this invitation, they'll live. At the epicenter of that invitation is a verse that a lot of people know as a very famous verse in Scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It's what you and I as human beings are thirsty and hungry for. John 4, the woman at the well, we've unpacked that before. He says, let me tell you what you're thirsty for. Everyone who drinks this water is going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. So this notion of eternal life is what this invitation is all about. And you're saying, wait a minute, I thought the invitation was to be friends. It's one and the same. Eternal life is not a synonym for heaven. And if you've been here for a while, you've heard me say that before. But I'm saying that particularly if you're new and starting to to, want to get caught up. Eternal life is not the same thing as heaven. Now, in heaven, we'll experience eternal life in an undiluted, unfettered way, no longer hampered by a fallen body in a fallen world. But eternal life goes far deeper than just a place. In fact, several characteristics of it, it's present as well as future. 
It's not something out there. It's something right only out there. At the end of my life, it's for now. Jesus said, anybody who believes has crossed over from death to life. It's an experience as well as a status. If you trusted Christ, you're fully alive by way of status, and so am I. The difference between us is the degree to which we're experiencing the beauty, the power of the calling, the cadence of the gospel on a daily basis in the way that we do our business, the way we do our recreation, our relationships. It's about quality as well as quantity. Eternal life isn't just about living forever, period. I sat next to a guy on a plane one time. He popped that question, what do you do for a living? I dropped the bomb uh, that I'm a pastor, and he actually didn't clam up as they usually do. We talked, and he said, you know, one thing I've heard Christians talk about is living forever. He said, can I really be honest with you? I said, of course. He said, I don't want to live forever. Well, why would I want this? And he's a pretty successful guy, but why, why would I want this to continue forever? And it's because the quantity aspect of eternal life was all he was aware of. No, it's a qualitative. The, and the quality, the epicenter of it is that last one. It's relational. Eternal life is relational, not just locational. It's not just a place. It's not just heaven. It's relational. Jesus defines it. The only time in Scripture He says this is what eternal life is in John chapter 17, verse 3. In His high priestly prayer, He's praying before He gives His life. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that Your Son may glorify You. For You granted Him authority over all people that He might give eternal life to all those You've given Him. Now this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This invitation is, his invitation, is an invitation to eternal life. It's an invitation to friendship. You say, which is it? It's both. Eternal life is friendship. The gospel is the ultimate friend request. And that passage that I read to the kids that's also on this invitation, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, Jesus says, and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with that person, and they with me. In Middle Eastern culture, breaking bread together is ultimate intimacy and friendship. We still do it today. You really want to have some quality time? Do a meal. Jesus says, on a daily basis, I want to be having a meal with you. Walking in relationship, friendship, you getting to know me and my heart, my priorities, my yearnings, you celebrating the fact that I know yours, engaging with you, walking in intimacy. This past week, I've, I've been going through the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, following a theme in my own study. And one of these days, we'll, we'll do it when we've got a little bit more time. But bottom line, in the garden, the purpose of the relate God wanted to dwell with Adam and Eve. Sin occurred, rebellion, saying, God, we don't need you to be normal. We can be normal on our own. That's sin. That's rebellion. That separates us from who He is. It creates a barrier, but He immediately promises a Redeemer. And the goal is not to get you and me into religion, but to restore us into relationship. So the tabernacle, which was the tent, and then the temple, both were places where His name dwelled. To dwell with His people, those were illustrations for Him to say, I want to still dwell in your midst, but provision needs to be made for your sin. And then we move to John 1 right after that passage 
passage I read earlier, it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's not just, hey, He did life. He dwelled among His people. First Corinthians talks about when the Holy Spirit takes up residence, we become His temples and we dwell with Him. And we're, this is all headed to Revelation. At the end of Revelation in the New Jerusalem, God is once again dwelling with His people. So the purpose of the gospel is to get us back to the intention of the garden. We're headed for the renewal of all the restoration of all things, and that's God dwelling with us in unfettered intimacy. Right now, we live in a broken world. Our sin gets in the way, and He says, but it will not stop me from pursuing you. Adam and Eve, where are you? He tells you and me, where are you? I want relationship with you. Here's the invitation, and realize it. And that invitation is something that I'm to unpack on a daily basis. It's not a one-time thing. Every day I get into this, this letter and I'm, I'm, I'm discovering more about His invitation. So realizing it is ongoing. I realize it initially, but it's an ongoing. And every day there's a second aspect to experiencing His life. Responding. To experience the life of Christ is to realize His invitation, but also to respond to it. There's two options. And if you're not clear on this, ask the kids that you brought, and they'll explain this to you. There's a planner. Will that invitation become a part of my life? Or will I say no? But here's the beauty. Even if you've said no, I don't care when it was, until the day you die, you can get that invitation out of the trash can, and you can open it up and hear the king of the universe say, you're invited to my table. You are meant to do life as my son, my daughter. You're meant for this relationship to be a part of your life every single day. What's it look like? We spent time talking about it, and you'll hear here at Northland us refer to the ABCs. It's living every one of my days with a sense of awe and worship. As I'm walking in discipleship, walking in obedience, walking in submission before Him, awe, brokenness, where brokenness is part of my journey, but not in a debilitating way, but I, I engage with the gospel in, in the midst of my difficulty, creatively being an instrument of God in the lives of other people, walking with a sense of depth and substance engaging other people, not being selfish, but saying, I want to engage you with the life of the gospel, but also us walking together in fellowship, being generous with what He's given us, living as men and women, with pa living with passion, living with heart, in intimacy with Him, and experiencing the journey, and doing that, and unpacking. See, the responding is also not a one-time thing. The first time I respond, the first time I respond instead of a no is with, is with a yes is when I come to Christ. But then on a daily basis, as we talked about in the series we just finished, it's a choice. 
now that I have the status of being a child of His, will I experience it and, and taste that, that life and my vocation, my marriage and my relationship with my, ch- my children, my parents, my friends, my recreation, every day, engaging the people around me to be fully alive in Jesus. I'm going to ask our worship team to come out. Before they, as they're coming out, I'm going to ask you to read a passage of Scripture one more time. It's John 5, 24 and 25 that we read earlier, but I'm going to use a different translation. It's a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And you and I are going to unpack this invitation. And then before we leave here, we're going to make a musical proclamation together about this invitation. And in making that proclamation, what we're going to be doing is saying, we've been given a gift, and it's a gift to be given away. And then next week, we'll dive back in to looking at how He is more than enough. But right now, open up the invitation, and let's read it again. You ready? It's urgent that you listen carefully to this. Read with me. Anyone here who believes what I am saying right now and aligns himself with the Father, who has in fact put me in charge, has at this very moment the real lasting life and is no longer condemned to be an outsider. This person has taken a giant step from the world of the dead to the world of the living. And it's urgent that you get this right. The time has arrived. I mean right now. When dead men and women will hear the voice of the Son of God and hearing will come alive. Jesus, thank you for your call, for your invitation on us. Not to perfect our religiosity, but instead to engage our humanity underneath your leadership. We're creatures. You're the Creator. You've called to re- you come to us to redeem, to restore. This invitation is an invitation of restoration to who we were meant to be, the way we live and love and laugh and cry and relate and work and play. Lord God, enable Northland Church to be a community of resurrected men and women, not perfect, but alive, daily responding to your invitation, daily realizing it a little bit more deeply, daily thinking, how can we give this away? And right now, as we give this benediction to one another musically, may we proclaim it not from the top of our throats, but from the core of our hearts and our lives and our journey.